Hi folks, this is Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things we can all do to live a better life if times get tough or even if they don't. And as you'll hear today, you should probably rely on times getting tough over the next few years at least, probably longer. In fact, what I'll say is like a couple years from now, we might start to feel like times aren't so tough, but that'll only because, be because of how bad the next two years are probably going to be. I know you tune into this show because you want to be set on fire with optimism. I mean, I know maybe a new person is going, what, what? I have a survival podcast. I'm looking for prep. You get all the prepping. You get all the doomsday and everything. But if you're new to the show, you may not know that I have, I have taught living life with a sense of optimism for a long time. I've always been real with the, the dangers and the threats that we have. And I've always pulled back on some of the extremism. Um, Because I think it's important that we do live by the show motto. Better life if times get tough, or even if they don't. So many people in the prepper, survivalist space, they have only a plan for failure. And you might think since I'm going to talk about systemic failure today, that well, at least it'll work out for them now. Probably not. Because we won't get wholesale failure. You get partial failure. And many people in the prepper space, they only plan for full breakdown. Like, they're worried about road warriors and shit like that instead of, like, sporadic violence. You know, sporadic, you know, roving gangs. They think that they're going to be able to just handle it, right? Because they got enough enough uh, ex-Special Forces operators who, who, who the closest they ever got to a Special Forces unit was buying a T-shirt uh, linked up with them or whatever. Like, there's so much of that out there. And we're about to head into a really dangerous time. In fact, we're already in it, and it's going to get worse before it gets better. And when it gets better, it's not going to be as good as it was. What does that mean? Well, here's the name of today's show. The Everything Shortage and the Danger of Recovery. And I have recovery in good old Dr. Evil quotes, right? Recovery, right? We, we've got a, a problem. Government caused. And then government applied a solution to its problem, making the problem worse. And now government's going to try to fix the problem that it already made worse. In fact, I, I usually have a quote of the day for you today. Today I do not. And usually the graphic for the episode, for those of you who go to the website or follow me on social media, the graphic for the, the, the episode, which become an easy thing for me, as I just take that quote of the day, and any great quote usually already has a graphic made for it on, like, you know, brainy quote or quote fancy or something like that. And then you can use those because they're watermarked and all. They're designed to be shared. So I grab that and throw that in. Today I made my own. I made my own graphic. It's not a quote. It's a meme, a straight-up meme. And if you know the Muppets, there's a character in the Muppet, little weird science guy with big red tufted hair and big bulging eyes. Named Beaker, like Beaker in a science lab, right? Beaker. And Beaker's always screwing shit up and freaking out about it. That's kind of his deal, right? If, for those of you that aren't old enough to actually remember the Muppets when the Muppets were the actual Muppets instead of the politically correct non-Muppets of today. Um, you know, it's when the Muppets were on, on TV on weekend evenings instead of the Muppets now are in the Capitol building, right? So we're back to that era and time of the Muppets. So Beaker's constantly screwing things up. So in this graphic, Beaker's had one of his screw-ups. Something's caught on fire. He sprays it with something in a can, some sort of accelerant, and the fire goes up and gets worse instead of going out, which I guess was his intention. And he's there all freaked out looking at it like, oh, what happened? And next to Beaker, I put government. And then in the, right next to the can, it says government's solution And then where the flames are just roaring now, as Beaker freaks out, problem government caused in the first place. That's what we're talking about today. Um, it's blunt, hard news. We as a society are economically screwed. And yes, that's been true for a long time. If you look at the debt, the debt clock, etc. But the COVID shutdowns and the government response to them were the largest self-inflicted wound in the history of mankind. 
the largest self-inflicted wound. It was like shooting yourself in both feet at the same time with both barrels of a 10-gauge with number four buckshot. That's how bad this was. And, you know, to make sure you really got it right, kind of, you know, raking your shins as you went down to your feet. That's what we did to ourselves. And we are now getting to a point where the original problem the government caused, which, by the way, isn't the shutdowns. This is the, it's the freaking virus itself. Thank you for your gain-of-function research contributions, Dr. Fauci. And then their solution was the shutdowns. Well, the virus is waning enough at least in their minds, because we should have never done this in the first place, but waiting enough now that we need to take the restrictions off and start letting the economy recover. But it's not that simple. This is not a binary code switch. We go off and on like a light switch. doesn't work that way. We have created massive supply disruptions, and when we turn it back on, we're going to have problems. In fact... Um, there's a medical scenario that I'll liken this to in just a second as we deep, delve deep into it, talk about what's coming, what's already happened, what can be avoided, what might be avoided, where things look really bad right now and they actually might not be that bad in the not-too-distant future, but maybe it won't matter, and a whole bunch more. And, of course, we'll end with what you can do about it. Before we do that, let's hear from our two sponsors of the day. Sponsor of the day number one today is KnifeKits.com. You know, I always talk about the way KnifeKits.com can get people into building knives and how it could be a side hustle, a full-time business, etc. But I also always talk about how, like, if you do this with a, you know, a father and son, mother, daughter, father, daughter, whatever, like uncle, nephew, that if, if I had a knife I had built with, uh, say, one of my great uncles especially, like my great uncle Pete, World War II veteran, it could have been, like, the worst knife I, I, I could have made, and it would still be priceless to me. And I'm just thinking that someday, anything made during this period of time we're going to talk about today that goes back to somebody's grandfather, this is going to be something people look on the way you would look on something right now if it went under in the Great Depression. And no, I'm not making that up. So it might be a good idea to check out KnifeKits.com uh, for any of those reasons. They have a great sponsor. They have been with us since the very beginning. Uh, they were like the third sponsor to sign up. That was in 2010. And it is 2021, and they are still here. Next up, the Free State Project. Boy, I'll tell you what. If there's ever been a time to vote with your feet and get the hell out of states that have lost their freaking mind, it is now. I'm not going to say New Hampshire has done everything right. I, I'm actually, with the COVID shutdowns, so I'm kind of happy that I stayed in Texas. But they sure haven't lost their minds the way that a lot of other states have. Like, I don't know, New Jersey and New York and Michigan. You know, the ones that are held up as the gold standard. The, the thing about New Hampshire is if you were there, you have people you know you can work with and rely on in the Free State Project. And what they'd like you to do now, is, especially since the economy's recovering, hey, take a vacation. Go to, go to fsp.org forward slash visit NH and learn how you can take a vacation to New Hampshire and meet some really cool people that will tell you about the Free State Project while you're there. I, I really believe in this project, guys. I have been promoting the Free State Project almost as long as there's been a TSP. I was a uh, keynote speaker twice at Liberty Forum, which is a, an event they do every year, and I've spoken three times there. Um, I've always been happy to support them in any way I can, and when they asked to be a sponsor, it was a, a no-brainer to let them on board. All right, so let's, let's talk about how this is going to go down. As crazy as it sounds, the resulting recovery as we begin to open back up and this begins to unwind is when the real problems are going to start. We've actually gotten past a lot of the problems by printing money and um, because the economy slowed down, that's bad, but it's not as bad as when the economy heats up and, and, and the supply lines can't keep up with it. Think of this in what is a very uncommon thing to happen in medicine, but it actually does happen. It, it, it has happened a few times here and there, but it, it happens like, It's, you would think it happened like 10 times a month somewhere in the world or the country based on how many times it's used on like medical drama TV shows, you know, like ER and Grey's Anatomy, things like that, right? Any, any long-running medical show has used this at least once, if not multiple times. Um, and the lack of connected reality there, 
with how common they make it look on TV and how uncommon it is in the real world, is it makes it a perfect analogy. Because government doesn't seem to have an ability to understand what, the reality that caused this in the first place, that they're actually the ones that did it, that they're beaker in the meme. They're the ones that sprayed the accelerant on the fire. So here it is. There's a car wreck or a collapsed building, and our heroes rush in to save the victim. They find a person who's in pretty decent spirits. One, they think at first he's going to be fine. But then they realize some sort of large weight has crushed them. Either they're in a car and like the front-end collision caved in the dashboard into their legs, or they were in a building and a beam came down and landed on their abdomen or something like that. And they have no choice but to remove the weight. They can't leave the person there. They, they will eventually succumb to their injuries and die. They have to try to treat them. But you know the rest of the story, right? We've seen this enough on TV, even though it's not a, a thing that happens very often. The blood vessels are clamped shut by the very weight that has crushed the patient. And when they remove that weight, the blood is going to rush out so quickly that even if they were sitting in the middle of an OR with the best surgeons in the world, they probably couldn't save the guy or the girl. So our heroes, you know, tell the person what's going to happen, and you know they go through their denial phase, and is there anybody you'd like us to, to bring to you? And maybe mom or dad is contacted, and they come in and they hold their hand, and the heroes take off the weight. Maybe they even try to do it staged, and they do everything they can, and they try in vain to stop the bleeding. But as expected, the victim dies. Of course, people looking on at the screen choke back a tear. As this poor person dies. Well, you can stop crying. It's an actor. Didn't really happen. You, you may soon want to cry for yourself, though, with this analogy. We are crushed. But an economic shutdown, like nothing that has ever hit the world before, and at a time when the economy was booming like it was ever before, the weight crushing us is starting to be lifted off. And the doctors are trying to do so in an attempt to save the patient. And this patient won't die. Because the patient's not a patient. It's billions of people around the world. But it's going to be crippled, likely for its life. That would be for the current generations. The current generations will never know a time where their lives are still not being affected by this injury. The younger you are, the more recovery you'll experience. Think of it like having a serious, serious injury. And if you're like 15 when you have the injury, and you, it is an injury that can be recovered from to a degree, you have a lot more time in front of you, and therefore you can do a lot more physical therapy, and you can get a lot more recovered, even though you're not fully recovered. Maybe you walk with a limp for the rest of your life. But if you're 70 when it happens, you're pretty much in a wheelchair until you die. That's like a perfect way to think about this. And and here's how we got here. So literally the patient got a cold. We ended up with a, a, a virus that while new on some levels really wasn't new. It really wasn't new. SARS-type viruses we've, we've dealt with for a long time, and, and we've probably dealt with them for longer than we think we have. But we completely overreacted to this. What we did was, instead of the patient having a building fall on them, we said, oh, look, he has a cold, and we threw a building on top of the patient. We dropped the building on the patient to save him. We said, hey, look, there comes a meteor. Maybe if we throw a building on him, it'll, the meteor will bounce off the building. And somehow, as stupid as we were, the patient lived. And then, you know, of course, the people that threw the building on the patient patted themselves on the back about what a great job they did, even though many of the people that were around the patient died from the building itself. And now as the build, we're like, okay, well, uh, huh. well, we, 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 we really got a lot out of this building we threw on top of the patient. We've, we've been able to use it to get a lot of what we wanted done done, but it, we, the people under the building are starting to get pissed off. And if they're forced to push the building off themselves and they realize we threw the building on top of them, when they come out from under there, 
they're going to be pissed. We have to pretend we're doing a rescue now, and we have to pull the building off the patient. But we can't have all of them come out at once, right? We can't have them all come out at once. So we need to like lift up different parts of the building and, and let different people out at different times so we can manage the bleeding that comes, the collective bleeding that comes. But there's going to be a lot of people to bleed out. That's the supply lines. Because here's, here's where we're at. Here's just a few of the supply line problems and issues that we're looking at. First of all, the pipeline hack is not the cause of the fuel shortage. Let's say that again. The pipeline hack is not why we have a fuel shortage. We had a fuel shortage long before the pipeline hack. I'm sorry we did. I have a big enough audience that I have people that do almost every job that you can think of. Almost every job you can think of. And some of those people drive trucks. And some of those people drive trucks that fuel goes on. So the way fuel works in this country is it's usually piped into a, a central distribution facility for a regional area, metropolitan area, or just more of a regional area if you're in a less densely populated area. And then trucks go to a terminal. And they fill the trucks, and then the trucks go to the gas station. Pipelines don't deliver straight to the gas station. And I can tell you for a fact that more than one driver in more than one location has shared with me pictures of the terminals being empty and lines of fuel trucks waiting to fill up before I went away on vacation, before there was a pipeline hack, while I was on vacation. So that was already going on. And it's going to continue. And it's because we disrupted everything. Now, so when you disrupt everything, you disrupt the fuel pipeline. If you remember, it was about a year ago that for like a week, gas futures were negative, meaning you they, there was such a surplus gut, glut of fuel, that literally people were saying, it, in order for me to be responsible for that fuel, you have to pay me to be responsible for it. Now, so what do you think happens when that's going on? Do you think the, the refineries and fuel producers and the oil wells and all, A, pump and refine more fuel, B, continue to pump and refine the same amount of fuel, or C, reduce production and refining? Well, unless you have an IQ of like, you know, 36, you're like, it, 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 they would reduce the production of oil and the refining of oil into fuel. Okay. So now what you have is you have a pullback in production. And again, you can't just turn it back on. It takes time to ramp up and ramp down production. So then you have a fuel shortage. When things turn back on, the production cannot equal the demand. And then when you have a fuel shortage, you will, by the very nature of a fuel shortage, have an everything shortage. Now, it's not the only reason we have an everything shortage, but it is one of the reasons we have an everything shortage. So an everything shortage creates a fuel shortage, and a fuel shortage creates an every, everything shortage. It's two ends of a cycle in and out. The fact that nobody on TV has explained this to you tells you that either A, all the people on TV are idiots, B, the people on TV have no interest in you knowing the truth, or C, both A and B are true. And again, you would probably pick C. But we could debate whether that's more accurate or not. I think that it's a blend that some of the people on the TV and that set the program on TV do not want you to know the truth. And some of the people on that TV and that set the program on TV are so stupid they don't even know the truth themselves. I think it's, a, it's very much a blend. It's partially, so D, partially A and B, right? So we have an everything shortage. We already had an everything shortage, and now we have an everything shortage exasperated by a fuel shortage, exasperated by an economy attempting to unwind and reopen. And I think this is why, remember Beaker spraying the fire, trying to put it out, but he's using an accelerant? The people that did this realize, okay, we can't just stay locked down forever. Though a recent survey showed that the 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 terror campaign, and that's what this is. This is a 
a propaganda government-driven terror campaign to so scare people into compliance that you're literally using a form of, of informational terrorism. That's what they did to you. They, if you if you are afraid of this at all, you are a victim of government-sponsored terrorism. And the propaganda, specifically in Europe and the UK, was so effective that they recently polled citizens of the United Kingdom and a full 10%, that's one in 10, I know it doesn't sound big, but wait do you hear what they want. They want the lockdowns to continue forever, no matter what. They are so afraid that one in 10 Britons wish for the lockdowns to remain permanently. And if you think you're locked down in the United States, you have no idea what life in the UK is like. None. Um, it's very similar to life in the Netherlands. We have family in the Netherlands. They literally cannot take a walk. They cannot take a walk outside. There are places in the UK specifically that are being handled that way, and yet people want it to remain that way forever. I don't think it's all just that like 10% of people are introverts that like being left alone. Like literally they have been horrified into this. But even with that, the people in power know like if we want to rule the world, the world must have some value to it, and the slaves have to be able to feed and clothe and house themselves and We can't keep doing this, so now we've got as much, we've wrung as much as we can out of the critical phase of the crisis, so now we want this long-tailing crisis. We want to continue the new Great Reset, but we also have to kind of open things back up. But now they're like those people that play doctors on TV looking at the patient going, if we just pull this giant beam off of their abdomen, they're going to bleed out. And this is not a defense of what they're doing, but it is a understanding of what I think they're doing. The reason you see the opening being phased is not just because red state governors were more stupid, right? Okay? Right? It's, it, it, I'm, I'm sorry. <laughs> the blue state gover governors were more stupid, right? And the red state governors stayed open. So obviously, because some of the blue state governors opened up early, like Connecticut even. I think you see a coordination going around around the world Where you're going to, like, okay, you guys open up a little bit here and you open a little bit there because they know they can't just open it all back up, turn it all back on. Like, the patient will bleed out. You'll see, like, you're going to have shortages, but let's try to have, only the government would, would, would say this, forced manageable shortages in a world that doesn't even know shortage and scarcity. A world that doesn't even understand it. A world that thinks, well, I had to buy pork chops for a couple weeks instead of T-bones, and they think that's a shortage. The people, the vast majority of people that lived through the rationing of World War II, the ones that are really old enough to remember it when it went on, the ones that actually made the decisions, right, like the ones that like went to the store with their fat ration and determined which four ounces of fat they would get that week for their family, those people are dead. If there's any of them left alive, they're in an old folks home somewhere dying of COVID. Because the governor made them go there with somebody that had COVID. Right? So they're not here. Like, those people are gone. People like me are old. We're old compared to the median age of a person in the Western world today. And we're the ones that remember the stories from our grandparents about what that was like. And no one listens to us anymore. Unless we're lucky enough to have a podcast. The vast majority of people have no idea what a shortage is like. And they're going to lose their minds when it happens. Look right now, we have people due to a disruption of the gas supply. It's like you can't get gas at all. That are making the shortage worse because they're running around filling up garbage bags with gasoline and throwing those garbage bags in the back of their SUVs. Yes, this is a real thing. These are the same people... That when people like me said, you know, everybody should keep like 60 gallons of gas on hand at all times and rotate it through in five gallon containers, said you were a crazy prepper. Those people are, it's not, it's not the preppers that are filling up garbage bags with gasoline right now. It's the people that think the preppers are crazy. So we don't prep just because things go wrong. We prep because we know what you do and how you behave when things go wrong. 
This is not really a political statement. This is an observation. During one of the debates, Joe Biden, when, when Trump said he didn't want Americans to panic, he said, uh, Joe Biden said, Americans don't panic. And Trump showed his incompetence by not pouncing on that. All Americans do is freaking panic as soon as there's a blip in the radar. And now shit's about to go sideways hard. What do you think they're going to do then? So every one of these shortages, as the patient begins to bleed out, the people are literally going to trample the patient drinking his blood like vampires. And we'll have cyclic shortages. We're going to have an everything shortage, but not everything at once. Right now, what's in short supply, other than gasoline? <clears throat> It's not money. There's a surplus of money. We're having inflation, very high inflation, but not hyperinflation. Just like I said, when all this started, I even said it on Tom Woods' show when talking to him, you're not going to have hyperinflation. And I, 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 I put a caveat with that by if you mean Weimar Germany, if you mean Zimbabwe, that's not what you're going to get. You're going to have sustained, long-term high inflation, 10 15 20%. Michael Saylor, who's you know pretty good with numbers, says it's 15. So I'm somewhere in the ballpark there when I say 10, 15, 20% sustained and kind of variable year to year. So that's, that's Michael Saylor's cost of capital that he's throwing in a spreadsheet. Now it's 15%. In other words, if you have a million dollars and you don't invest it, it costs you $150,000 just to hold that million dollars for a year. You'll still have a million dollars, but now it's going to buy you $150,000 less. It's going to buy you $850,000 worth of goods. But how that number applies will spread. So here's one of the things I think is going to happen. For, for an example, right now, everybody is totally freaked out about the cost of plywood, lumber, etc. That market's about to crash. Mark my words. I know that sounds insane. When I say about to, could be by August, could be by the end of the year. Somewhere in that range. Could be a little more short-term even. It'll start to come down. Why? Why Why would you say that right now? Jack, I mean, literally, have you seen the memes of the girl saying to the guy, take me somewhere expensive? And then the next picture is they're having you know, a really nice candlelit dinner in the lumber section at Home Depot. Haven't you seen that? Yes, I've seen that. And yes, it's funny. And yes, it makes a point. So just what's driving... The cost of lumber, plywood, and building materials, roofing material, etc. Like, I, I, I have two different sources on one of the largest roofing manufacturers in the country saying we're not taking orders for 60 days. What's driving that? People say, well, it's all home improvement. So everybody's putting a new roof on their house. Construction is. And they're not building commercial buildings, and they're damn sure not building them in New York City or Los Angeles or San Francisco. People are hauling ass out of the cities, and so you don't have more people, but if you have a mass migration out of places and nobody's going back there, you have a housing shortage. Residential properties in smaller communities and in, in cities in, in states that have not lost their mind completely in this are exploding. So there's more and more development of residential properties, apartments, condos, etc., And at the same time, you had a shortage in the supply because there was a pullback on construction and building. So now that surges. And again, we still have the standing trees. Right? This is kind of like oil. There's not a shortage of it in the ground. We can't eventually pump more. You can't eventually cut more. We have this temporary pull on the supply. Now you have fuel going up to about $4 a gallon. Or more, and you have a pending shortage and a, a, a coming economic catastrophe. How long do you think the surge in building can roll? So, what happens when all of the timber cutters and lumber makers and supply makers gear up for this and the bottom falls out on the other side? It doesn't even have to go like into catastrophic failure, it can go back to normal levels. And you have a glut. When you have a glut, you get a drop. When, when they started legalizing CBD all over the country, when the federal government legalized it, I remember it was two or three years ago, 
People were posting about how great it was. They were going to go into the business. They're going to get a, they're going to get their paperwork together so they can start growing CBD hemp. And uh, I, I said, you know, what you guys should do, you should be looking at growing it for biomass. You should be looking at it for all the things that it does, not just high-quality CBD. And the response came back, why? And I said, three words, boom, glut, bust. Tell me it's not what happened. How can you possibly know that? Because I understand history. Because this is an economic cycle. Because it's what always happens. So as you, you were going to see is the surge in fuel prices and as Robin building materials eventually. And just that's not really that important into itself. This is what this is going to look like. This everything shortage is going to be like whack-a-mole. When this gets better, this gets worse. And when this gets better, that gets worse. And when this gets better, these three things get worse. And when we whack those down, four things get worse. And then back and forth and to and fro. And I'm, I'm not saying, I'm absolutely not saying that when those building materials prices come down, that they'll stay down. That could be the next mole to pop up or it could stay in the hole. You don't know. This is a huge game of whack-a-mole. You're gonna have to. You would have to approach this the way my friends and I used to do this at Chuck E. Cheese's. When I was a kid, I'm talking a long time in the 1980s, right? We went to Chuck E. Cheese or Showbiz Pizza, whichever one we got to go to. We play a whack-a-mole, get like three kids, and instead of using those freaking hammer things they give you, use your hands. Each kid went over a mole, and as soon as it came up, we got all the tickets. Unfortunately, your money might be worth about as much as those tickets were. You might be able to plastic whistle with them if there's not a shortage of plastic whistles. Like, this is literally where we're headed. On top of this, people talk about the problem of climate, right? Climate change, whatever. Climate can be a problem even if nothing changes. If you just happen to get, like, really cold winters that did not cross back, or really, really rainy winters and rainy springs and you can't get crops out of the ground, you can't harvest them. And we have shortages in all our feedstocks and grain stocks, period. And we have continued to sell it at record net break speed out of the country. While other countries are either buying the shit out of it, like China, or banning their exportation, like Brazil, with soybeans. Soybeans is... I mean, I'm sorry, Brazil is one of the largest exporters of soybeans in the world. Soybeans are a seasonal crop. The United States exports the shit out of soy. We have traditionally exported a bunch, but also imported a bunch. So we export after our harvest, and we import until our next. And we just keep that cycle running. Well, Brazil's banned the exportation of soybeans. I know you're not a soy boy. You don't drink soy lattes. You don't eat tofu. But if you're a carnivore... Or partially carnivorous, a lot of the things you eat, eat soy. Now, I know many of us were like, well, I eat grass-fed. I do, too. But yeah, there's not enough people raising meat that way to meet the current meat demand. We could. We should. I hope we do. I don't think we're gonna. And then you have one of the wealthiest oligarchs in the world, Bill Gates, has become the single largest holder of farmland in the United States. People are like, why? I don't know. Seems like farmland's going to be pretty freaking valuable as we unwind from that shortage. And you try to convince the world to eat soy burger instead of hamburger. So we have that problem. And on top of it, like I said, with Bill Gates, the oligarchs, the technocrats, they're levering the situation to further their goals. Now, we can debate whether they engineered the entire thing Part of the thing or none of the thing. I'll let you decide for yourself which one of those, A, B, C. And I won't call you stupid for whichever one you pick. But if you don't believe that they're taking advantage of it, then you are retarded. I'm sorry. You are a moron. This has been the single largest transfer of wealth in human history. Thousands if not millions of small companies have crumbled under this. And the wealthiest people in the world have grown their wealth by magnitudes that we can't even think of. Like, but There's been more wealth gained by these people than wealth that existed 20 years ago. Let me say that again. Go mathematically fact check that shit, Zuckercock. You know? You're the one, one of the people I'm talking about, by the way. 
the the growth in wealth by the top class of, of the wealthy, the top 10% of the wealthy in the world, their growth in the last year and a half exceeds the entirety of wealth that existed, at least as straight capital, we're not going to count real estate in that, it's a little bit insane to do that, in the world 20 years ago. They printed money and they got most of it. They printed money and they got most of it, and the money they printed and gave to you, you spent it and they got it back. And you can't print money in a fractional reserve system, which the entire modern world runs on. I don't care if it's euros, I don't care if it's yen, I don't care if it's ruples, I don't care if it's rupees, I don't care if it's dollars, I don't care if it's pesos. The whole world runs on fractional reserve. The only way you can expand the monetary base without equally expanding the economic underlying base, is to take the value of existing money when you create new money. So you can expand a monetary supply if it's in concert with an economic underlying system. In other words, if the economy grows and the money supply grows at a relatively equivalent rate, you don't have much inflation. Does that make sense? See, this is where we, 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 we so rob people intellectually. People think... Well, inflation just means printing money. No. No. The type of system we run, you actually want monetary expansion. You just want it to keep pace with economic growth. And you want monetary retraction to keep pace with economic retraction. You want a balance between the two. That's what the Federal Reserve claims they do, but yet nobody explains that when they tell you what inflation is. They just say it's printing money. But when you exceed volumetric increase in the monetary supply without the underlying economic growth, do we have real economic growth in the last year and a half? No. No. And you know we didn't. Are we making more stuff? Are we building more stuff? Is there more supply than there was a year ago? Again, your IQ has to be under 80 if you answer that with, yeah, there's more supply than there was a year ago. No. Less supply, more money, inflation. That's how that works. And they are leveraging that by not only making money off the print itself, but positioning things so that they gain the money and money is power. And everything that they want, they see this as the best time in history to get it. They literally look at this and go, there will never be a time we can do more, more quickly than we can right now with getting people compliant to the things that we want. And I'm going to tell you something that's going to sound at first like I'm, I'm apologizing for these people. I'm not. They're scum and they're evil, just so you understand. If there is a hell, I hope there's a special place in it for them. And I hope we can go observe once in a while, just to be clear. But they think what they're doing is for the betterment of mankind. They, re they don't think they're evil. They might think they'll justify their evil deeds. They might know some of the things are going to cause pain and anguish and evil. But they think of themselves like some sort of magnanimous military commander. Yes, by sending my troops in here, I know that I'm going to have losses of 10,000 men. But if we, if we wait, if we wait and we don't go on the offense right now, I'm going to lose 100,000. And likely of those 100,000, most of the 10,000 that we're going to lose in this initiative... We'll die then anyway. So I'm going to save 90,000 lives by sacrificing 10,000 lives. That's how they see themselves. And if you think that in any way mitigates this, again, please start using your God-given brain, as my, 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 my late father-in-law used to say. Would you rather negotiate with a bank robber that has all the customers of the bank and all the staff of the bank held hostage, who simply wants money, and to get away, or a religious fanatic that believes in his cause and believes that it is just and right that he kill the infidel and die for Allah. Who would you rather negotiate with if you were a police negotiator? Would you rather negotiate with the cult of Jim Jones or Al Capone? Al Capone knows exactly what he is. Well, no, he's gone now, right? Dead long ago. But Al Capone knew what he was. He's a gangster. Original gangster, OG. He knew what he was, he knew what he was about, and he knew what he wanted. He knew he was a bad guy. But you believe, you deal with a true believer in a cause. I don't care what the cause is. 
It becomes a religion in a way. And they're willing to do an exact evils on mankind that no one else would do because they think it's for the betterment of mankind. These people are sick, twisted, power-hungry sons of bitches. So what happens next? As the world reopens, the bleeding starts. The oligarchs do everything they can to capitalize on it. There's not enough quick clot in the world to stop it. And there's not enough narcotics in the world to numb the pain. What they've done up till now is quick clot, stop the bleeding, bailouts. Narcotics, stimulus money. So they bailed out the businesses as best they could, especially the big ones. And then they sent you enough money to pay for your Netflix and binge. And so you could order shit from Amazon. That was a narcotic. So they killed the pain, and they threw quick, quick clot on. But when you pull the beam off the patient, the blood is going to spurt. There is no way to stop it. We have to go through it. This unwinding is an 18 to 24 month cycle. We're going to be talking about this and it's going to be getting worse and ebbing and flowing and different whack-a-moles popping up and down for 18 to 24 months. If, and the biggest two-letter word in the English language, I'd say the biggest word with less than 10 letters, maybe the biggest word in the English language is if, even though it's only two letters. So it's if nothing else major goes wrong. And I don't mean nothing else major that these people plan to use already. This part of their goal. I mean, you know, something like a cyber attack on the uh, North Atlantic or North American grid. That would be, you know, way worse than a regional pipeline being shut down. I mean, what about if we got a real pandemic? I think one of the biggest bad things in this pandemic. It's not a pandemic, and many people know it's not a pandemic. So what's going to happen if we get a pandemic, a real one? What if you get some form of African hemorrhagic fever, you know, some Ebola variant that's airborne that kills 30% of the people that get it? And you have half the people like, we saw this shit before. It's not real. It's fake. <laughs> They choke their lungs up onto the street. That'll, that'll wake them up pretty. What if we get a real pandemic? What if we get a real flu pandemic? Just an influenza with about a 5% death rate. What if we get one of those? There's a hundred other things that go wrong. These are all the things we prepared for anyway. However, think of it like COVID. Normal healthy person gets COVID 99.97% of the time. They're fine. What happens to a patient that's coming out of aggressive chemotherapy that also has cardiac issues that gets COVID, that kills them? The whole world is coming out of freaking chemotherapy and has a cardiac issue. Things that would have hurt us bad can kill us now. And we've got this window of recovery that we got to get through, and then we're not better. Then we get to be crippled. Because that's what happens next. After 18 to 24 months of this shit, when people start to feel like things are getting back to some semblance of, like, it's going to be okay, you're going to look around and realize that we're all walking around with crutches and spending a lot of time using a wheelchair. And like I said, this is multi-generational crippling. You want better news? I'm sorry, I don't have it. Now, let me also be clear with this. This does not equal... Everybody living in the conditions, you know, of Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol. May I have a piece of coal, sir? There will be pockets that look really good and pockets that look really bad in all of this. But it's going to be largely contingent on you, what you do and how you handle it, what it's going to look like to you. There are going to be people that through this, through blind-ass luck, won't even know it's a problem. There are people that expect it not to be a problem. They're going to lose everything they have. And there's going to be people that are intelligent enough to navigate their way through it relatively okay. But possibly in a wheelchair. If I can be clear enough. And it's, again, it's multi-generational. It's multi-generational. So what do you need to do? 
develop systems to do more with less. One of the biggest things that I put my effort into this year, and I hope people realize it, is developing systems on my property to feed my animals without going to the feed store. Not so I don't ever have to go to the feed store. I want to cut my need for feed by half. I'm not saying there's not going to be any feed. I'm going to say it's going to be a shorter supply and cost more money. That was a good play anyway, but boy, it lit the fire under my ass. You need to think about that in all walks of life. How can I do more with less? You need to do what we've been teaching here largely for 13 years. I had somebody email me recently. They wanted me to hire, hire me to be their mentor, and I didn't even read the whole thing. As soon as I realized what was being asked, I just emailed back and said, look, I appreciate your enthusiasm, but no, I don't do this. They emailed me back and said, you know, I understand why you wouldn't want to, but I'm looking for somebody to help me with this. I just want to become a successful prepper. What do you think? And I said, I've literally spent the last 13 years of my life giving information away for free that tell you how to do that. That's what I think. And I wasn't being a dick. I'm just being serious. Like, What people want is somebody to do this for you, and you can't. Now, trust me, in a coming year, the people that know what to do are going to be too busy doing it for themselves to do it for you, in many situations anyway. You need to get your shit together. You need to get your shit together. Don't freak out about the gas. It's going to be expensive, but we'll get to where we can get gas again. You're not going to see videos of people filling up garbage bags and, and laundry baskets. Yeah, I said laundry baskets, yeah. I'm not sure if it was real. There was, a, there was a picture of a woman putting gas in a laundry basket, and yes, one with holes in it. I'm really not sure where that was going. Uh, but I've seen Tupperware, you know, the Rubbermaid tubs and stuff like that. Like, that's not going to go on forever. I mean, some of those people will probably set themselves on fire and then figure out not to do that. But it will be expensive, but... You need to get yourself into a position where you have at least 60 gallons of gas. At least 60. So that you can whack the mole. This is what I'm saying. We don't need to be getting ready for the apocalypse. We need to get ready for the whack-a-mole game. You need to figure out, how do I get by using less gas and have gas in reserve? Whenever there's an opportunity, top the tank off. Fill up the gas cans. If you've been doing that the entire time, I've only been teaching it for 13 years, you'd look at this and go, and I've heard from some of y'all, I don't even give a shit. Great. I'm not sitting in line arguing with people, and when the line goes away, go refill. And if it's expensive, it's expensive, but at least you weren't doing it when the line was full, right? This is how you have to start thinking. You also need to realize... What I kind of alluded to earlier, there's going to be opportunities in this to be very successful and to even build incredible wealth. Some of the biggest fortunes in our country and in our history were built in the middle of the Great Depression. Some of them were built by companies that were already established, that were starting to grow, that could have been completely derailed, and they adapted, adjusted, and overcame. Um. There's a show, it's like the history of food or something like that. It's on Discovery. It's amazing. One of the really interesting stories is how Hershey grew and many other candy companies grew in the middle of the Great Depression. They figured out how to market candy and how to make it cheap. And that's a big business, right? It's a multi-billion dollar business today. And they're not your friends. You can still learn from people who are successful. You're probably not going to build a billion dollar business. But a multi-million dollar business isn't bad. And a six-figure business isn't bad. There's going to be opportunities for that. If people were able to build fortunes in, during, and through the Great Depression in the United States of America, you can do it during the Great Reset. You can. One thing, though. Please, if you haven't done so yet, I've said it so many times, I almost don't want to say it again, but get the hell away from the Flashpoint cities. The people behind this, the useful idiots, are in all of these groups and organizations that think they're fighting each other. 
that think they're diametrically opposed to each other, and the individuals in them are. But they're all being used by the same people at the top. If you have not yet done so, you really need to get a copy of the book, The Illuminatus Trilogy, by Robert Shea and Robert Anton Wilson. It's a really trippy, travel-through-time, science-fiction blended-in, uh, kind of drug-induced hallucination over three books crammed into one. But the truths in it are massive. And I'll give you the two most important ones that you'll get out of this book. But reading it is still worth it. Number one is the Fenord. F-N-O-R-D. Fenord. Fenord is a piece of disinformation in plain sight. Anybody awake to reality will recognize it for what it is, and anybody that doesn't recognize it is the one actually controlled by it. The Fenords only work when you don't see them. That's the truth. They don't even ever say that in the book, but if you come to that conclusion, then you get the book. The Fenords only work if you don't see them. It doesn't mean you didn't read or observe them. You didn't see them as what they were. So the Fenors. The other thing is, every conspiracy theory, every group, and there's some of the groups, they give them different names and all, but like, you're, I, that's totally Planned Parenthood. That's totally the Black Panthers, right? Like, you just realize, like, this is all these groups, right? You could tell who they are and what they're all about. And they all think they're fighting each other. And there's struggles within them to move up within the groups, And the people at the top of the groups really believe in what they're doing, even if they're scum, and they're taking advantage of their position. They still believe in the mission of the group, even if they're succumbing to the iron law of bureaucracy. However, the few really connected people at the top are using all of them to further their goal. That's what you're sitting in right now. And the Flashpoint cities are where this shit's going to go down. And this is the only good thing about what's gone on over the last year. You know where they are now. You know the ones that have absolutely lost their minds, that are run by complete, you know, kind of tin-pot dictators, and you know the ones that are going to explode into violence, and they just so happen to be the same place. If you've observed a convoy of rider trucks and U-Haul trucks leaving your neighborhood, and you're still there, I don't know what to tell you other than, maybe you should leave too. Maybe you should leave too. And... I know what you're going to say, some of you. I can't afford to. I'm going to tell you in many, maybe not all instances, but you, and you have to determine this for yourself, but I think in many instances, you cannot afford not to. You cannot afford. I can't afford to build or buy right now. Don't. Rent. But get out. And wait for this pending real estate collapse that's going to come. And buy then. Because it will. It's going to come down hard. I wrote about it a year ago. It's all playing out the way that I said it would. Get out of the Flashpoint cities and develop your networks. Whether it's John Bush's freedom cells or just start talking to your neighbors more, you're going to need people you can rely on and people you can trust. It is very possible that in a surveillance state that we're heading into, it won't just be the cameras that rat you out. It'll be the old lady on the street pushing a broom. Think Soviet Russia. You get people worked up enough. and The babushkas of Russia that ratted people out, and there were a lot of them, are going to be replaced by the Karens of the 2020s. You need to know who you can trust, and you need to know who the hell the COVID Karens are. And you need to keep them separated. Develop your networks. My final thoughts, as dark as this is, tremendous opportunity. This is going to steamroll the blind like the guy in Austin Powers movie. Remember that, the scene, right? Get out of the way, get out of the way. He's driving a little steamroller. It's moving about one mile an hour. And the guy's like, ah! He's like, get out of the way, ah! Get out of the way, ah! That's what's going to happen to the blind. But steamroller's really moving that slow. It's that ludicrous. It's that ridiculous. If you're agile at all, if you're a thinking person, if you've got time left in your dash, you can come out of this better than you go in. Now think about this. How hard would it be for you to win a race 
if all the people you were racing against were crippled. And I'm not mocking the crippled. I'm just, you know, I know we're not supposed to see differences in people, but, you know, if everybody's on crutches and you're like 25 and you've been running five miles a day for the last five years and now you're going to race a one-mile run and everybody around you is crippled, you think you're going to win? And then let's put it another way. Let's say there's some professional athletes and whatever, you know, but like 90% of the pack is on crutches. And you're in the 10% that isn't. And you're in reasonably good shape and you understand the rules of the race. Sure, some people are going to get to the finish line ahead of you. Who cares? Who cares? You don't think you can finish in the top 10%? And there's a big difference in the top 2% and the top 8 And there's a huge difference even in the top 2%, but the top 2% and the .02%. But you have every opportunity in the world to be in that top 10%. Every opportunity in the world. Eyes open, head up, right? I tell my kid, my grandkid, every time we're in a parking lot together, head up, eyes out. Situationally aware. Please understand that, that, that extends beyond, are those guys over there eyeballing you while you pump gas? Because whether it's a short supply of gas or not, if they really are, close the gas cap, get in the car, go somewhere else. Well, I don't know where else to go. Keep your eyes open and your head out. Eyes out, head up. There's plenty of places to get more gas. It's a metaphor, right? There's so much opportunity, guys. People who build self-sufficiency into their lives right now, or already have, that are able to play the whack-a-mole game, You're going to have something during this period of time. Reserve capital. Little story. My grandfather told me, during the Great Depression, I went downtown. They were selling apples. Dozen apples for a dime. I'm not even sure if I got the price right, but that's how you would have said it. You know, Dozen apples for a dime. Wow. Yeah. All I could do is look at them and go, damn, that's cheap. But he didn't have the dime. You set your ship up right now. And when that mole gets whacked and that sector collapses, you take advantage of it. And I know some people are like, that's predatory. Guys, it's the game. It's the game we're all going to have to play. Now, I didn't say you have to do it evil. I didn't say go throw an old lady out of her house like a 1930s movie. I said, when that mole gets whacked, that's when you go into that sector and you take what you need from it. You buy what you need because you don't just sit there and go, damn, that's cheap. And when you see the opportunity in the right place that matches your talent, your drive, your loves, your passions, and your initiatives, you're ready to move and you help whack them all to help people. It's both ends of it. It's not about taking It's about understanding this is reality. I wish to God we taught people about things like this in school. If we did, we might not be here in the first place. But then we wouldn't be a society of sheep that are easily led and easily controlled. You're surrounded by sheep. You're surrounded by sheep. You're surrounded by sheep. The sheep dog can't help all the sheep. The sheepdog can't help all this. This idea, well, I'm a sheepdog. Some of the sheep are still going to die, man. And the sheepdog first takes care of his puppies and his fellow sheepdogs. And then the sheep that are willing to be looked after. And a really stupid sheep, no matter what you do, they're going to commit suicide. Find peace with that. Find peace with that and figure out how to build during a time when everything else is falling apart. That is the difference between winners and losers. Everybody can build when times are good. Everybody. My old mentor, Frank Madrin, redneck from North Carolina with a Harvard MBA. Man that grew up most of his life as a kid without a good pair of shoes. That by the mid-20s, his mid-20s, he had a Harvard MBA. He used to say to me, Jack, this is when I was a young guy. 
Even a turkey can fly in a tornado. When times are good, everybody does good. You figure out how to do good when everybody's panicking, when everybody's losing. You do that. You can rule the world. There's a smart man and a great mentor. I hope, at least for some of you, what we've talked about over all these years has been in that kind of mentorship for you. I hope I've been able to pass that on. With that, let's go ahead and wrap things up. Let me remind you, if you want to help support this show, one of the ways you can do that is by becoming a member of the Member Support Brigade. If you become a member of the MSB, then you will be able to help support this show, and you'll be able to get your money back. You know, I'm pretty big on making smart, intelligent purchases, if you can't tell from today's show. And I think if you buy a membership for 50 bucks and you use it to get discounts on things you're going to buy anyway, And at the end of the year, you add up all your discounts and you go like, I got $120 worth of discounts last year. I think you've done pretty good. I think you've done fairly well for yourself. So do consider helping us out by becoming a member. And please use the discounts. I hear from people like, I don't even care about the discounts, man. I just want to support your work. I appreciate that. I really do. But if there's a discount that works for you, please do it. It makes me able to do more for you, by the way. The more I can do for my supporting vendors, the more they want to do for you. So it really helps when you actually use the discounts. Uh, next up, you can also help us out by doing your online shopping at tspaz.com. That's T-S-P-A-Z, tspaz.com. Today's item of the day are the Anchor, the I'm sorry, Anchor Soundcore Life P2 True Wireless Earbuds. I love these things. Most of you listen to audio content or you wouldn't be hearing me right now. And uh, Bluetooth is better than wires because it is. Um, these things are every bit as good as a pair of AirPods that sell for like 150 bucks, And the black ones are on sale for $40. And I'm telling you, they're every bit as good as a pair of Apple AirPods. And, and don't, don't wear the white ones. Some of you will get this joke. Some of you won't. It makes me think of a scene from something about Mary, the people with the white AirPods. It just, come on, guys. Really, really. Look in the mirror and tell me you don't see it. Anyway, you can always help us out by doing your online shopping at tspaz.com. With that, um, let's get to our song of the day for today. Willie Nelson week. Uh, we had a great Willie Nelson song yesterday, one that you probably didn't know. Many of you didn't know anyway. This one, like I think everybody alive on the planet has heard this song like a bunch of times on the road again. But what a lot of people don't know is where this song came from. So Willie wrote this song, spur of the moment, on a on a puke bag on an airplane. He was on a plane with Jerry Schatzberg, the director of a movie, uh, Honeysuckle Rose, along with the, the executive producer of that mo movie, Sidney Pollack. And he did, said this in an interview with uh, Uncut Magazine. He said they were looking for songs for a movie... And they asked me if I had any ideas. And I said, what do you want the song to say? And Sidney said, can it be something about being on the road? And it just started to click. I said, you mean like on the road again? I can't wait to get on the road again. They said, that's great. What's the melody? I said, I don't know yet. And that spur of the moment song became a number one country hit for Willie Nelson, one of his biggest overall crossovers, reaching number 20 on the Hot 100. Uh, and that that was just a huge thing for him. It made him way bigger than he was, and it's a big part of why everybody knows who he is today. So uh, with that in mind, now you know the backstory to one of the most famous songs of all time. And uh, as someone who just came off the road, I can tell you that I love being on the road, but I also love being home. With that's been Jack Spierko with another edition on the Survival Podcast. On the road again. Just can't wait to get on the road again The life I love is making music with my friends And I can't wait to get on the road again On the road again Going places that I've never been Seeing things that I may never see again And I can't wait to get on the road again On the road again Oh,
my love is making music with my friends. 